every single marketer and every single brand should be attempting to earn a disproportionate share of conversation. If you work for an organization where they say, bring us a chart that goes up and to the right, you have a challenge. Half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is, I don't know which half. I am here to inspire you, to excite you, to motivate you, to transform you, to energize you. Hello, and welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. This episode features an interview with Jim Sinai, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Procore Technologies, a global cloud-based construction software company that recently went public at an approximate valuation of $9 billion. Prior to Procore, Jim held numerous senior leadership roles across eight years at Salesforce, including leading the launch for major product rollouts of Salesforce Platform and Salesforce Einstein. On this episode, Jim unpacks the intersection between product marketing and demand gen, the hardest challenge facing modern marketers, the future of webinars, and much more. But before we get into it, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Qualified.com. If you are a B2B marketer who has always dreamed of knowing when a qualified prospect is on your site and being able to talk to them instantly, now you can. Learn more at Qualified.com. So please enjoy this interview between Jim Sinai, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Procore, and your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Demand Gen Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios and host of Demand Gen Visionaries. And today I am joined by the amazing Jim. How are you? Ian, great to see you. Great to see you again. Excited to chat with you today and talk about Procore. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to talk about demand as it relates to product marketing. You have a long background in in marketing in general, but also specifically product marketing. And to bring on someone who's an ace like you to talk how product and demand are related is great. So tell me, what was your first job in product or demand? I've been, uh, my whole career has been in product marketing, but I've always thought of myself as curious. And so when I started in product marketing in my first role, and which is way back at uh, Salesforce in 2011, I, you know, I was paired with a campaign manager who was trying to run all these offers. And I kept saying, well, what are these offers? What, what do you mean? What is an offer? And I really just started like peeling back the onion on sort of what it, what it means to do demand. And look, at the end of the day, both product marketing and uh, the demand gen teams are gold on the same thing, which is total pipe generation, at least in a B2B SaaS company. And so really it's two peas in a pod between the product marketer and the demand gen leader to make that pipe appear, whether it's inbound or outbound, it needs to, you know, we need all of that pipe to appear. So that's where I got involved. I would say uh, pretty quickly, I had a new campaign manager partner uh, who's been a friend and a mentor and a and she's a wildly successful CMO, uh, Jamie Dominici. She's, I think, now at Log Me In. Yeah, so I learned a ton from her about how product and demand should work together. And it's been a wild ride ever since. Yeah, Jamie's rad. We talked to her uh, recently. Uh, she's she's a uh, she's another ace. She's awesome. So you know, flash forward to your role at Procore, and really for our listeners who don't know, tell us a little bit about Procore as a company. Yeah, sure. So Procore is the leader in construction software for sort of end-to-end construction from pre-construction all the way to closeout. So if you're building anything from a a high-rise to a multifamily home to a high-end single-family residence to 
uh, airports, stadiums, you name it, you have a complex job and, and you have multiple stakeholders working together to deliver on something that's just, that's a one-off custom manufactured job. It's what construction is. And we help uh, all those parties stay aligned and connected with a single source of truth around that project. And that's what the Procore Construction Management Platform is all about. Let's get to our first segment, the trust tree. With the knowledge you've been given, you are now on the inside of what I like to call the circle of trust. What, I thought we were in the trust tree in the nest, are we not? This is the place where we can go and feel honest and trusted, and you can share those deepest, darkest... You mean you, you mean you and I trust each other? Yeah, we trust each other and we trust that the listeners are going to are going to listen and and uh, and get some of these deep dark marketing secrets that you've been uh, you've been holding over there, Jim. So you talked a little bit about the company. What are the personas that you're talking to? Great demand gen is also has to be mapped to um, your overall go-to-market strategy, right? So if if you just step back and say, you know, what is the strategy of the type of customers we're trying to win before you get to personas? Because I think personas are interesting, but I actually think what are the companies that you're selling to matter? So at Procore, we look at it by uh, you know region, which country you're going to market. And then we look at it within each country, which audiences are we trying to sell to? So we have three discrete audiences, the owners who are the people that pay for construction, the general contractors who are the people that execute and lead the construction, and then the specialty contracts are the, are the trades and the craftsmen that actually do the specialty work on a job site. And so we have a distinct offering for each one of those. It's all connected. It connects each one of those stakeholders to all the other stakeholders on the project. And so when all of those stakeholders like are, are kind of making this sort of a decision, are they involved using Procore, like whether or not they buy the product? Like, is it something where someone can buy the product and someone who's, you know, a, a subcontractor or, sh- or someone like that is using it, but never purchased it in the first place. I'm just curious how that works. Yeah. So that's actually the genius of uh, the Procore business model. Early on, we identified that the uh, our founder and CEO, Tui Kordamach, identified that like the key is to get them to collaborate and to get them to collaborate without friction and uh, seamlessly is about getting them all on the platform. And so we go to market with an unlimited pricing model, which means unlimited users unlimited data and uh, unlimited support for all those users. And ultimately, by getting all the users on the platform, whether they're paid users or non-paid users, they're all able to work on the project together. And so what happens is normally someone will sponsor Procore for the project, the GC or the owner, and then everyone will use that person's uh, version of Procore. And in some instances, people will have their own version too, and they'll bring it and they'll connect it. But in general, you know, it just takes one person to get that flywheel going of people using Procore on a project. Unlimited, uh, unlimited marketing. Unlimited marketing. Yes, we call it the three X unlimited. So, yeah, we go to, and then you're back to your question on personas. Like within that, there's people in construction in the field that have pains in the field, like uh, you know the the superintendent, the project executive, the or the project executive in the office. Sorry, the uh, project manager and the project engineer, and then people in the office who are managing sort of the finances and the overall execution of the project. And so those people have have different pain points and different needs, and they need, but they also have the same goal, which is making sure that project gets built on time and under budget. And so when you're, when you have those type of relationships with people where you have all sorts of folks that have not bought the product that are using it, and they get to really, you know, obviously it's more than a demo. They're they're using it on a day to day basis. How does that type of uh, 
of stuff work into your product marketing, work into your marketing initiatives? I think the place where we've seen the biggest uplift on that model is around the brand, which is, you know, we can walk into any construction conversation. People have heard of Procore. They know Procore. And, you know, like all brands, it can be a double-edged sword. We built our, our bread and butter business off the backs of general contractors. And when we introduced a specialty contractor product in 2018, we had to do a lot of work to say, hey, we're for you too. Because they always looked at us and said, oh, well, that's a product just for general contractors. But when you have a product that has that openness of bringing users onto the platform, it, it allows you to focus some of your demand gen effort down more tactically around the, the people searching for people searching for solutions and not so much on trying to create brand or category awareness. Yeah. So is the marketing philosophy that you have, is it specific to like a product focus? Is it focused like over marketing overall? Like, uh, you know, sometimes people get a very narrow kind of kind of a laser focus on on their discipline and not kind of seeing the, the forest through the trees. Whereas I know you take a, a much more holistic approach. I mean, I've led marketing teams holistically and I, and I encourage every product marketer to think like a CMO, which is you know, even though the work of product marketing is about making sure that we have the right messaging around the product, but to think about what the messaging for their entire audience is. At Procore, we've actually put a huge emphasis on our product marketing org to be more audience and market specific so that we're not just myopically thinking about how to carry the product to market, but really thinking about what are the, you know, what are the segments that the targeting and the positioning against each of those segments? Because ultimately that's where products marketing can be a great partner for demand gen is helping them identify where the dog will hunt and what, you know, what personas, but also what size companies and, you know, for us, for what types of construction companies, and then making sure that we're helping them figure out how to find those people out in the market from uh, creating the actual persona doc of understanding who they are. How's the org structured in marketing to acquire your accounts? How does, how does it, you know, the interplay between sales and marketing? Sure. It's fairly, it's a fairly classic uh, B2B SaaS model. We've got a, a sales org that's organized by our go-to-market motion. So we have them verticalized by customer type because each customer has a different talk track and a different pain point. And then uh, in the marketing org, we've got a campaigns team and a product marketing team that is aligned to support that sales motion. So there, there's what we call uh, total stakeholder alignment. And then the sort of the in-between marketing and sales is our revenue ops team, and our, which includes, uh, we call it the ROSE team. So it's revenue operations strategy and enablement. And between the ROSE team and the marketing team and the sales team, you can actually see and map out all the interlocks between the sales leader, the ops leader, the marketing uh, campaign leader and product marketing leader, as well as the enablement resources. And you put those all together and you've got a pretty formidable formidable group of people that are making decisions based on their their local problems rather than top-down brand strategy. So for someone who is like kind of a dyed-in-the-wool demand person who's, who's never really stepped into um, a product role, um, we've seen a ton of people on this, on this podcast, a lot of CMOs that have product in their background that know how to do that. I'm curious, like, first off, why do you think that is? And then the second thing, you know, we, we always talk about demand gen being positioned well, you know, close to the business because you're owning pipeline. So how can, how can demand, you know, take some of the pages from, from product marketing to understand how to, how to leverage it a, a little bit better than perhaps in the past? Well, I'd say the best 
demand gen leaders out there can do product marketing. I've seen them do product marketing. And they all have the same attribute in common, which is stakeholder management and alignment. Because at the end of the day, what, what makes for great campaigns and great demand gen is when you have the sales team and the marketing team focusing on trying to say the right message and to the right people and that they're out creating the right sort of cadence of what we call plays. So a play is, you know, in the hierarchy, a campaign may be the overarching theme that you run for a year and then you'll have different programs underneath that campaign. And then plays are literally tactics like, oh, we've released this new feature. So here's a list of people we could call. Let's email them. Let's call them. Let's target them with the webinar and uh, do some very localized orchestration. And so back to your question, the great demand gen leaders think the same way product marketers do, which is assessing sort of the big picture, understanding what they need to do, having an opinion of what they need to do, but being tightly aligned with their sales teams and the people that are creating the content, whether that's a creative team or other a, a product marketing team, and and then executing. It's not rocket science. It's just stakeholder management. Yeah, not rocket science, but um, but when you get it right, you know, great things can happen as evidenced by the past two plus years build up for you and Procore, which I would say, you can't really say culminating in the IPO. You need to say like, what is it? A false summit, right? Because now now, now the rest of the work begins. We call it the starting gun because because now we're off to the races. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's, it's a great run. I mean, I think one of the things that is also a really interesting dynamic that demand gen leaders have to think about that's not so much in the world of product marketing is how to balance the tension between what's on the website and and outbound campaigns. And let me unpack that because I think that, you know, in product marketing, we're very focused on what's the message. I, I always ask my team every day, what's the message? What's the message? You know, what are we trying to say? Because at the end of the day, that's our secret ingredient is messaging. That's what product marketing is uniquely positioned to deliver. And the challenge is, is we may have a message that works really well for a sales pitch or a talk track, but it may not actually generate a high converting web page because what you need to say on the web page might be need to be very simple and speak very simply and not fancifully to to the buyer or the shopper's experience. And so there's this always this tension of you're trying to say something at the brand level, but what you're saying at the brand level doesn't actually translate to web conversions. And at the end of the day, all good campaigns are really just about trying to get eyeballs back to your website where you're trying to convert things. So we have this mantra at Procore in our marketing team that, you know, the website is our most important asset. And we put all of our attention to make sure that we have all of our merchandising on, on the website. So that's where the product marketers are thinking about what is the product messaging and what do we need to explain? But we also are balancing that with the work we have to do to make it a super high performant website from load times and conversions and all the other things that are required to really deliver a, a high performing website experience that, that drives conversions. It's such a great point. Um, and it, it's it's uh, one of those kind of like bas- back to the basics sort of a, a, a lesson here, which is like that the copy that's that's on your website and the copy that's, you know, in your advertising or in your uh, webinars or, or whatever it is, isn't going to be the exact same because you're trying to do different things, right? Getting the person's interest, you know, whatever the interest, uh, awareness, interest, desire, action sort of piece, getting them hooked in from somewhere out in the world 
to even have interest to figure out what the heck you're talking about to get them to the website is such a different thing than, you know, once, once you actually hit it. And I think that, you know, a lot of times we want to say, we want to stay so consistent with everything that we use the same, you know, handful of words on our materials, but like that doesn't catch anyone's attention. It doesn't speak to a particular pain that they have or, or whatever it is. And it doesn't, uh, you know, it speaks, like you said, about the brand overall, but it's not going to be um, something that, that someone's going to like, a light bulb's going to go off and they're going to be like, oh, I got to, I got to, uh, I got to see what this is about. And, and I think the hardest part that modern marketers have to face, especially the demand gen leaders that own the website is how to serve the multi-segment at the same time. So how do you speak to a SMB buyer? Like uh, in our case, let's say you're a general contractor that does a few million a year in construction. You come in and you're looking, you know, you're going to spend 10K with us. So you're looking for something that screams quick and easy and we got your back. And, you know, at the same time, we're going to have someone hit our website who might be a seven-figure customer and we need to speak like an enterprise to them. And there's a handful of technologies out there that help help you identify and segment those traffic so you can deli- deliver d- different messages, but it's not easy and it's not perfect. So you have to figure out like, well, if I have bleed over from one audience to the other, are they going to feel, are they going to feel lost in their, in their, on, on our website? Yeah. How do you think about that? Because that is, I mean, we, we talk to a lot of people who are selling, you know, SMB mid-market and enterprise and, you know, and where you, how you put the case studies, what logos you put up, all that stuff. What's your, uh, what's your message there to, uh, or what's your piece of advice? Well, I think the more you have an alignment about what your focus is, it's important. If you have a focus of like, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to target com- companies beneath a certain size, then that becomes really easy. Uh, if you're trying to do it all, I think you have to prioritize what you need your web to do versus what you can let your account executives do and how you can create experiences. I think a lot of companies, including ours, that have this challenge use things like events to create that executive experience, knowing that you can explain to a an enterprise customer like, hey, our website, well, that's just for the people that come to the website, but here's our enterprise solution, you know, which is kind of like the behind the velvet rope. Let me, let me open up the velvet rope and get you into the back of the club. And we'll show you what the enterprise experience looks like. Let's go to our next segment, the playbook. This is what's great about sports. This is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. Playbook is where we open up that playbook and talk about the tactics that help you win. Jim, open up the playbook. Can you give us three channels or tactics or plays that are your uncuttable budget items? Well, I'm like... I'm pretty sacrosanct that as a marketing org, you got to be out buying buying the leads off of uh, review sites. I think if you got someone who's a hand raiser, who's they've gone to a software advice or G2 crowd and they've researched your product and they've clicked on that little form, you've got to not only grab that lead, but you got to flip it to the sales team pretty damn quickly. Website is one of the most strategic assets. Uh, anytime that I've regretted a budget allocation, it's usually I've underinvested in the, on things on the website. And, you know, just think about like your buyers are humans and they want a really delightful experience on the website. So whether that's integrating a chat bot, um, there's great tools for booking, booking appointments. One of the things that I think is fantastic is when you don't have to talk to a salesperson to book a a meeting with the salesperson. I, yes, I want to talk to sales and I want to talk to them either now via chat. I want to pick up the phone 
or I want to set an appointment and actually have a, a proper appointment. You know, there's, I think giving that shopper that it, channel is really important. And then I think the third tactic that I I think is just time and time again proven and the, the pandemic really nailed it was webinars. I think of webinars, you know, you can do the big fancy webinar where you're doing a thought leadership content or you're doing high production, but some of the most effective webinars are the one-to-many group demos where you're basically giving people a chance to come in, see your software in a safe space with other prospects, hear from a customer, ask some questions, but it's, it's, it's kind of that low pressure sales environment. It's like going into a trade show and instead of going into the booth, you get to watch from the back of the, from the back aisle and see the presentation without having to like dive right in. And then do you, do you, uh, there's gotta be a better word for this, but do you, do you weaponize those in post? Are you doing those where, you know, you're then taking those and getting them, getting them back out there? Le- leverage might be a better word. Weaponize yeah, there you is, go. is very militant. Ian? Well, I was in the uh, army, so what do you? Oh yes, do? I know. What branch you were uh, in? The, in in the army. Army, army. Um, I guess a navy guy would never say I was in the army. Uh, <laughs> so shit. yes, we. Uh, you know what I like to encourage the team, the product marketers who are usually the the people doing the webinars or thinking about the content, is pick one theme, create a create a uh, an asset, whether it's an ebook or a. Um, you know, a piece of thought leadership or uh, a customer story. So whatever that asset is, create that anchor asset, do a webinar about that asset, and then do a few blogs about the what the webinar and the asset, and then figure out how do you then take all of that and flow it into either your ongoing nurtures, you know, your other sort of one-off emails. I mean, I guess email is an important, you, back to the which tactics could you not do without. I think email is invaluable. You can't get away from it. I just feel like that's so foundational that I guess I forgot that one. Well, so, and then I'm curious, where do you stand on like the, hey, every week at when, you know, Wednesday at one o'clock Pacific, we have our, our demo webinar type person. That, the daily demo? Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, so I think it's, it's a both end. Like you want to have them on demand for people that want to sip them. And then you want to have them scheduled for people that like, I need a reason to, to show up. It's on my calendar and it's there. I think I learned during the pandemic, the power of on demand is that you can watch things at 2x speed. Same with like listening to this podcast. I actually think there's someone out there that's probably listening to us at 2x speed and it probably sounds really different. We should all speak in chipmunk voice. So that's the- well, and, and also to skipping stuff. Like I think there's so many people that listen to this show that will skip to the uncuttable budget items or, you know, whatever, skip to the dust up if they want to hear some... Some fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but I think that that is, that is the utility of, of on-demand and, and it's the utility of, um, specifically with webinars, when you're sitting at, your, at work and you have it on your desktop and you just throw it on there in the background uh, and you're kind of half paying attention and then you can go back and be like, wait a second, I just, hold on, let me just go back five seconds and, and, and what, what did they say? Like that, that's just so killer. That's right. But then you don't, what you don't have with that is the live ask the questions. Um, that's right. And that's the, and that's the give to get. Some people just want to sip the information. Other people actually want to ask the questions. They want to interact and they, and the questions usually bring some amount of richness. You know, when I coach people on doing the daily demos, I'm like, make it 20 minutes, make it like, make it something that's like a small ask on their calendar versus like a, you know, they got to settle in for an hour. 
So do you think daily is the right cadence? Like what, what would, what would be your recommendation? Well, let's say you had, um, you were selling to, you were selling the velocity business, right? Which meant your deal sizes were between five and 15 K and, you know, reps carrying a quote of like hundred K a month. I don't know. It's like a lot of deals, but like, it's a velocity business. Think about how many times that you're trying to have your sales engineers, your solutions engineers get on a call for a one-to-one demo. And that becomes fairly like exhausting for the sales engineer. And it also becomes a traffic issue for all the salespeople trying to use the sales engineer. And furthermore, it kind of pulls people out of discovery mode and right into demo mode because then AEs are just trying to show the product as opposed to spending their time doing discovery. So, you know, having a, having a daily is, if you can make it work, is probably also easier for the solution engineers. It's like office hours. Let me just host a open demo. Anyone wants to come can come. Yeah. I love that. I just wonder about the bandwidth piece of it where I, I know that people are just worried about, you know, committing to that cadence. And once you make the promise to the world that it's like, Hey, we're going to do these demos, you know, all the time. And then you, then you're like, oh, geez, now I get, now we got to do them. We got to. Yeah. But I mean, you don't have to promise it forever. Try it for a month, measure it. Like if you have five SEs, that's once a week, they each have to do four. And you know, the campaign person might, might hate the, the fact that they have to do these repetitively, but you know, the reality is that you might actually, you might actually create more bandwidth elsewhere because you have the sort of repeatable thing. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, move on. That's the whole fun of marketing is you get to experiment with tactics versus like being fixed and hard coded and everything you do. You know, one of the things that we've seen, um, people do really well, whether it's with, you know, podcasts or videos or, or webinars. Um, I mean, webinars are technically a video, but is really like, there's so much customer success story in there. They're doing, like you said, they're having a customer on there. That's really diving into that. And, you know, I, I know you, you obviously, you know, grew up in Salesforce. So the customer success, you know, capital, but you know, like a lot, a lot of people don't, maybe they have a customer, the, the customers that don't want to talk or can't talk or something like that. So they're constantly trying to figure out, you know, some angle and it just doesn't, they don't, they don't necessarily get that kind of customer success, you know, piece of it. I mean, how important is it to have a customer on there? If you don't have them on there, you got to tell their story, right? So one of the product marketers that works for me, this guy, Sina Falaki was um, just did one of these daily demos this week. And I was just watching it to give him a few, you know, notes and critiques and he crushed it. And he did this thing where he went on this like five minute story about this specialty contractor that lost over a hundred thousand dollars because they were like writing their change orders on paper and wadding them up in their briefcase and brought them in a month later and be like, we got a file for these. And the office manager was like, well, the window to file is on a two week basis. And therefore we just lost all that money because we didn't have a digital process for this. And, but he, you know, he told that in a five minute version, which I didn't want to waste time here doing. And then he went and talked about a different customer. And the point of it is, is like, you can either talk about the customer name or you can talk about the customer story in a really compelling story. That's not about you, but at the end of the day, like, you know, we, we work in a software category that's, that has, two or three lookalike competitors that pretty much steal everything we do. <laughs> and I'm not going to name them because they're, they're, they're not that interesting, but they, they're super unoriginal and they copy everything we do, every message, everything. And it is the most annoying thing in the world. And if I could cuss 
violently I would on this show. But I we actually don't care because you know what? At the end of the day, we have one thing they don't have, which is customer success. And we have it in spades. And our customers, we call them groundbreakers. We build stories around them. We put them out on on the road and we treat them like heroes. And and that's that's really our differentiator. So if you have a differentiator that's better than customer success, roll with it. But there's nothing better than than customer proof points. Well, I'll brag on you a little bit here too. I had a chance to go to Procore's um, executive forum last year at Groundbreak. And I've talked about it many times since. It's the best. And it was right after the pandemic started. So it was super crazy. And it was the best executive forum that I'd been a part of. And I feel like I've been to a million, things like that. And it was just so thoughtful and well done. And your customers are freaking fired up. I mean, they were so excited to be there and to share. And like, yeah. it's like one of the things where you barely need a moderator. The moderator just says go. And everybody's like coming in and talking. And like, it felt like the conversation was really being elevated. And you could tell, and the way that you told their stories and all that stuff. And I think that exactly what you said is, you know, you spend a lot of time and effort and energy thinking about how to tell their stories and it, and it comes across in, in, uh, in that event for sure. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of, you know, I think the industry we serve is not un, un, uh, dissimilar from where you come from the military, where people go through a lot of hard time together and that hard time creates a shared bond. And even if you're not in the same platoon as the person, you, you understand they've been through that too. And anyone that's built a mega project has lived that pain and can look across at the other person and have admiration and respect. That's why I chose Procore as a place to work and hang my hat is because there's just passionate, raving customers. You know, it's interesting. And that's, you know, our good friend, Maliki, who's... Sure, our executive creative director. Yeah, who's just the best. Shout out to him. He's not He's not so good. Nobody go hire him, please. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. That's right. He's just um, average. But, um, you know, he, he is the best actually. Sorry. Yeah. He really is the best. Um, and he, um, you know, when he was telling me about, you know, joining the, the company, the same sort of thing, and it speaks to just like how, you know, rich of a tapestry that you have in construction when you have these people that are so passionate about their job and like, you know, no offense to a lot of other you know industries, but construction is really hard. <laughs> like, I think it is an extremely difficult industry to be in. And what's interesting, uh, and I've studied a, a pretty decent amount, but it's it's one of these industries that actually gets more complex as it, uh, over time, like because more systems are involved and more technologies are involved, and like buildings are way more complex than they were a hundred years ago, right? And so it, you have this, um, you have these stories that, and these people that are that are really fired up, and I think it's such an important like marketing lesson you got to know your customers and like listen to how they talk about things. And if they're passionate about stuff, then your marketing should be passionate. If they're, you know, like, ah, whatever, it's just, you know, whatever, accounting, not no offense to accountants, but, um, but if it's not something that they're fired up, then, you know, you, you, you really want to share that energy. I think. One of the things that I constantly remind myself on and the team in addition is the language that they use, right? Construction people speak, uh, you know, a fairly interesting, uh, colorful language, I would say, but they also speak a very plain language. And, um, you know, we have to not get too fanciful when we speak to them. And then we have to be mindful when we're speaking to our owner's audience segment that they they have a different tone, right? These are people that are, uh, that work in corporations and offices and they're real estate investors. And 
construction for them is an important part of their business, but it's not their only part of their business. They're, you know, operating the real estate, owning the real estate after the fact is important as well. So, uh, you know, language matters and it's, it's, um, you know, it's also gets back to the demand gen story, which is, you know, if you have a writer that isn't matching your, your, your audience's language, you have to be mindful of that and, and, and adjust accordingly. Final piece on Webinar. I know we've done a ton on this, but it's just, you have so many, so many. They're, they're the best. I mean, they're, they're just pr- the most proven, right? Well, so you mentioned the thing about time and, and 20 minutes, and this is something I'm pretty obsessed with. I, I think that one of the things for the future of marketing is mm-hmm. really playing with the length of things. Because I think that so much of our lives is predicated on like, you know, the hour time block or the 30 minute time block or, you know, whatever. I think there's so much room to do that, make the same content different lengths. And I'm curious, like, what do you think the future of webinars are? Is there any changes that you see or any exciting things that are kind of happening or, or things that uh, you, you would want to see? So I think the, the experimentation of webinars through the pandemic has been awesome because you've seen conferences go totally virtual where they're trying to do a conference and do trade show booths and um, webinar platforms can be really simple or complex depending on what you need. I think the time format is an interesting one because it allows people to come in and, you know, and sip in. I think I'm watching a lot what's going on with Clubhouse because I think that there's part of, part of me is like, do I want to watch a webinar or do I want to listen to a webinar? What's the difference between a webinar and a podcast? Probably you can ask questions and you can see some slides and that's about it. So thinking about how those two things intersect, there's a few other new technologies that I think are super helpful, like Rev.com. We use excessively to, to get sort of on-demand trans- AI-powered transcripts, which are great because then you can you can get a bunch of SEO juice if you use the transcripts right on YouTube. And Yeah, we used a script. Yeah. Same sort of idea. And when it's like, what, and you have to, right? And like, that's the thing, you know, when, as we're making podcasts, it's so funny. It's like, it, we always, when we're talking to, to customers and prospects, like there is a minimum viable amount of work that you should be doing when you're creating this stuff. Like there's no reason to half do it. Um, you can't half do this stuff. If you're going to do the work, you have to get a transcript. <laughs> like if you're going to do the work, you know, like you, you just have to do that stuff. That, I mean, the, the other thing I think too is shorter is harder. I mean, look at this podcast. We're going to run what, 45 minutes for this podcast, an hour for this. And uh, to get all this amazing goodness into 20 minutes would have required practice and more pre-production. So there's there's this tension between uh, what I would say, the work you put in before the show and the the length of the show. Totally. And then I think the other thing is that nobody is doing or not a lot of people are doing is scripting narratives around that stuff. If you're synthesizing the information for someone and like, you know, it's like the same thing as if you were to go read a book and then go to the book club and then hear a bunch of people talk about it, right? It's like now you can give both of the assets to the person. I can give you the information and the synthesis and the exposition all in one place now. And that then that's like so exciting to be able to hear difference of opinion and things like that. I think that's there's so much like room there. And especially like when you bring customers on and they, they talk about stuff that you could have never dreamed of. You're like, I, I didn't even know that people use our product in that way or whatever. Yeah. I'm i uh, I'm a big, I'm a big uh, believer that there's still room to innovate on this. So now you got my wheels turning when I get off this call, I'm going to go spin some circles for some people. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's get to our next segment. 
the dust up. Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. You may have heard that there was a dust up involving yours truly. And now we've got a wild scrum with fights breaking out all over the place. And it is getting really ugly. As we've got punches and kicks. This is where we talk about healthy tension, whether that's with your board, your sales teams, your competitors, or anyone else. Jim, have you had a memorable dust up in your career? Uh memorable dust up. I mean, I've been fired. We've talked about that on <laughs> before. Uh, I wouldn't say that was a dust up. That was just me not staying aligned to my leader. Um, I've definitely, definitely had a disagreement about positioning and what we should be doing. But at the end of the day, like you know, if yeah, you know, it's funny. I can't think of a place where it ever got to be so bad that I remember it. You know, when something hurts you bad, you remember it. There's very few things that are like, you can't come come and say, hey, I'm going to try this or test this out. You know, I think there's, you know, the best teams are teams that have some amount of conflict. You know, they're built on trust. It's like David Lencioni's, uh, David Lencioni's uh, advantage book. You know, the best teams ha- have a foundation of trust. And once you have trust, then you can have conflict. And so I actually look, go the other way, which is if you're not having dust-ups and conflicts, uh, then then you're probably not pushing hard enough. Uh, or, you know, my, my, I could point to many campaigns partners or demand gen partners that sat across from me where we had lots of disagreements about tactics. Jamie and I once had a great fight about yo-yos in a booth, which uh, probably isn't worth recapping here. I was like, don't put yo-yos in the booth. They're like, that's off brand. And she's like, watch how many leads we're going to get. <laughs> And she won that argument, uh, hands down. So I guess the point is, is like, you can have an opinion, but you always have to be open to hearing the other side and, and, uh, letting it ride. And, you know, the, knowing that it's like baseball, it's a game of averages and there's going to be a lot of at bats. So, and then I also think the final answer, whenever you do have a disagreement and I coach everyone on this is the answer is not inside the four walls of the building. It's out with the customer. And so, the person who has tested it the most is the person who will likely have the the winning argument in a desktop. Yeah, I love the um, the adage that um, there's no such thing as writer's block. There's only reader's block. Like if you don't know the answers, that means you haven't you haven't done enough research. And I think that that's so true with like you know kind of your marketing stuff. It's like if you can't mm-hmm. think of what to say, then you you just need to go outside and and go talk to more people. Yeah, if you're if you're feeling like stale, like just. And whenever I feel like I need a, I need a, like a hit of excitement or adrenaline in my job, I just go to go see customers. That's like the happy place. It should be for all marketers, all demand gen leaders should all product marketers go spend time with customers. It makes everything better. Okay. Let's get to our final segment here. Quick hits. These are quick questions and quick answers, just like conversational marketing with qualified Qualified prospects are on your website right now, and you can talk to them quickly. Go to qualified.com to learn more. Qualified's the best. They're, they're our, our best friends. We love them. Uh, one of my friends is a CMO. Hit me the other day, and she said that she baked off Qualified with a competitor, and they crushed it. Go check them out. Go to qualified.com. Quick hits. I, I will just give one other salute to Qualified, yeah. which is uh, their founder and CEO Craig Swenzer was my original leader at Salesforce product product marketing. And uh, he is a great tech founder and CEO, but he's also just a baller product marketer and can nail positioning sort of cold. 
every time. He's so good. And every time I chat with him, uh, I feel like I'm getting a master class. We got to bring him on the show. <laughs> we'll bring him on the show. Yeah. Oh, he's your sponsor. Why wouldn't you have him on the show? I, you know, uh, you know, we, we take a, we take a hands-off approach here. Yeah, on, I get uh, it. I get it. Conflict of interest. Okay. Quick hits. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do this. Okay. What's the, uh, what's your, the, your island meal, one meal for the rest of your life? Oh, Island meal. I'm, uh, I, that's a tough one. I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty partial to anything with avocado. So I think shrimp tacos with some avocado on it would probably go like, I, I could probably live off that for a while. That is a great answer. Might be the best answer. And I think that might be my new answer. Uh, man, I had ceviche in, uh, in, uh, in Mexico one time that was like super fresh. It was like the best thing I've ever eaten. And now I think I, man, shrimp tacos, that's a great call because you're on an island. Got to eat shrimp tacos on an island. If you were to come back on the show, you're from now, what do you think is the biggest thing that's changed? Well, I will tell you conferences are back. People are going back, like we're going back to live events. We're going back to conferences. Won't be 100% the same, but I just, I don't see how hosting people and getting together face-to-face doesn't come back. I was just at a conference in Vegas, World of Concrete, which is a great show, by the way. It's if you like playing with construction toys like jackhammers, just a good hands-on conference. Uh, and yeah, they, I mean, people are walking around and masks off, and everyone's everyone's ready to get back to it. What's next for Procore? You know, we're super proud of uh, of where where we've gotten, and you know, we've got a lot of sights set on a lot of growth. That's part of the privilege of being a public company, and uh, that includes opening up some new countries and uh, continuing with the international expansion. And we've got some new product stuff in the pipe and really just helping our customers grow and expand. At the end of the day, we're committed to making this industry the best possible industry in the world, the construction industry. And there's a lot we have left to do to help help the industry work more efficiently. If you had one piece of advice for a CMO trying to figure out demand, maybe they don't know demand very well what would what would be your recommendation i think if you're a cmo and you're not willing to learn how the demand systems work you're not going to be a cmo for long unless you have a phenomenal demand gen visionary as your right hand but i think the most important thing is um getting alignment on the measurement of success because the measurement of success can vary based on how you define it and so the more that you and your team have outlined what is the measurement of success and how to measure it uh, I think the more successful you'll be at managing the demand team because otherwise um, everything will always smell like roses even when it's not. Jim, thanks so much for your time. Always great chatting with you. Excited to follow along. Procore is a rad company and, uh, and we'll be we'll be watching. For our listeners, you can go to Procore.com and, and check them out. They have a great website, just a lot of really good positioning stuff. It's just it's a company that does great marketing, uh, courtesy of, of folks like Jim and Malky and a bunch of other people. Alea, shout out to her, lots of people on the team. So, um, Jim, any final thoughts, anything to plug? We're hiring. So if you, if you want to join a rocket ship and you, you're really curious about what it's like to work in a rapidly scaling, uh, international business that serves what I think is the coolest industry in the world, hit me up, find me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Awesome. We'll, uh, we'll link that up in the show notes. Thanks again, Jim. All right. Great to see you guys. Thanks again. Demand Gen Visionaries is brought to you by our friends at qualified.com. 
conversational marketing company that's on a mission to transform the way B2B companies sell. Go to qualified.com to learn more.